<laughs> Thank you so much. Provided it doesn't go on too long. Yay, God. Oh, man, that was just awesome. Sam, that, those declarations at the end are powerful. I just felt it really releasing something in the atmosphere. And big shout out to Mike and Isaac up, uh, on that side as well, because the sound was great today. Really good. Really, it's always great. It's always great. Whoever does it. <laughs> no favorites. But that was good. Yes, Jesus. So, um, wow, what a, what a great weekend we had last weekend, wasn't it, with Steve Backland and, uh, at the conference at uh, the Lichterminster School. Um, I, I will say it again, I mean, that guy, although I think he has the, the simplest message out of all the people from Bethel, has impacted me the most through the years that we've known him it's just like fundamentally changed some of the ways that I think and speak and uh, it's great it's just it's just really amazing so I want to uh, follow up on some of it today actually um, because um, shortly before Steve came I uh, had a strange dream that I woke up kind of thinking about um, basically, I mean, I can't remember the details of the dream. All I can remember is that in the dream, I had this sentence going around my head. And I knew in the dream that I was dreaming, and that I had to remember it when I woke up. And so, um, it was, I was kind of coaching myself in the dream. So, I going through it, through it, through it, through it, through it. And fortunately, when I woke up, I, I did remember it. But maybe not precisely, but the gist, and forgive me, the house group, because we've talked about this already, but I feel it's so important that it, it warrants going through again. So, the gist of this sentence that was going through my mind, and it was on the 28th of May, so, what, about two weeks ago, um, was, where the circumstances of life have deviated from God's perfect plan, the Word of God is released to challenge those circumstances or correct those circumstances, okay? So where the circumstances of life have deviated from God's perfect plan, the word of God is released and sharper than any two-edged sword to challenge those circumstances and bring correction to it. And it kind of, that was the sentence, okay? So quite often the sentences in isolation make you think, ooh, you know, what's that all about? I mean, that's nice, but it, it set me off on a path of thinking about the Word of God and the purpose of the Word of God, because there's a lot of scriptures about it, aren't there? And I'm not just talking about the Bible. Often when we uh, mention the Word of God, people think the Bible, the written Word of God. But I'm also talking about the Word of God that it talks about when it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding uh, for our French guests today, the present continuous tense, uh, that is proceeding, that is coming now and continues to keep coming. Okay? It's, it's like an ongoing thing. So it's not something that's happened and that we can just sit down and study. It is something that is happening. Uh, so, you know, we've got the written word of God and we've got the present word of God that is flowing from the throne of God that really excites our hearts when we hear God speaking to us. But that word has a purpose to it because it says, doesn't it, that uh, 
the Lord says about his word that it will not return to him void but will accomplish that which it was sent forth to do. So, which gives you the indication that every word of God that is released from heaven has a purpose. It's not just idle. It's not just kind of fascinating data that we can process and take or leave or whatever. It actually has a purpose. And so I want to look a little bit at that purpose today. And um, one of the things that I've mentioned over the years, <laughs> I keep going back to, I'm, a, I'm an engineer by training, and so I think in engineering sort of ways. And there's uh, a thing called the second law of thermodynamics, as penned by uh, Mr. Newton, I believe, in, in the original place. And uh, the second law of thermodynamics is all about how things can't... People may dispute this with me after because there's a little bit of discussion. But for the purposes of my talk, this is what it's about, okay? My understanding. It's about how things tend towards chaos rather than order. And so, for example, if you've got a nice box full of neatly stacked matches and you turn the thing upside down, there's a very high probability that they will not be neatly stacked when they hit the floor, okay? And I will also say about a teenager's bedroom after it has been tidied up, the, the natural tendency and the way of life is that it will tend towards chaos. It will not tend... Okay, we can leave that one. That's, uh, I, can see, I can see that's causing a little bit of angst around the room. So. But generally speaking, generally speaking, things do tend towards chaos. It's the natural way of life. And uh, So, in the, in the beginning when God created the earth, it, it was perfect. It was beautiful. And actually, I believe things didn't tend towards chaos. Maybe the second law of thermodynamics did not exist at that point. Uh, but actually, everything was held in perfect harmony. And we can, we can read the account, you know, of how in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is in Genesis 1. Uh, the earth was formless and empty, that didn't last long, did it? <laughs> oh, peace in the name of Jesus. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And uh, God saw that the light was good and then he separated the light from the darkness, called the light day, the darkness night, and the evening passed, the morning came, marking the first day. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And this is, that is what happened. God made a space to separate the waters over the earth from the waters under the under the sky, and he called the space sky. That's an interesting. We'll come back to that one in a minute. And the evening passed, and the morning came, making the second day. And God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land, the waters sea, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. 
and that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and the trees with seed-bearing fruit, and the seeds produced plants, and the trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. So, we won't go on with the whole story, because there's kind of seven days' worth of that. Uh, That's just the first three days. So, he basically, when God started off, it says the earth was void and without form. And the sense of that, when you look into those words, is is chaotic. There's kind of, nothing was ordered. And God, through his word, said, let there be light. And suddenly, some order began to appear over the face of the earth. For a start, the darkness was dispelled. And light came. And he began to separate things out. But if you look at the whole account, everything was by the word. Everything was by the word. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be land, and there was land. Okay, It was all by his word. The Spirit of God was hovering as the, as the amazing uh, power of God, the grace of God, the enabling power, of, uh, the enabling presence of God, which responded to the word of God that then changed the circumstances and brought about this order. So, right at the beginning, there is this wonderful order that is brought into being. And the bit that I just wanted to kind of just indulge in for a little bit was that's, that scripture where it says, uh, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of heavens and the waters of the earth. I don't know if you've ever read that before, but it's quite curious, isn't it, that separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth and he called that space sky so it's kind of like it's one of those things that you skim over and you think hang on a minute water above water below and sky and some people think that when God originally created the earth there was like this canopy that was over it of water and the scriptures which say that uh, when the son of man got up in the morning, he could hear the, the heavens singing to him. And I don't know if you can imagine it, this kind of wonderful canopy in the heavens that kind of vibrated and, and produced sound, but maybe also reduced harmful radiation and all sorts of things, you know. But when God created the earth, it was a perfect environment. It was absolutely perfect. And uh, man lived on there with no fear, no anxiety, no sickness, uh, no lack in his life, perfect relationship with his soulmate and perfect relationship with God. Everything was in order. Okay? Then, of course, sin crept in. The, the, the enemy came in and began to say, oh, you know, really, God doesn't want you to do these things because you will become like him and tempts man to go away that is different from God's. And of course, sin creeps in, and from that point, everything begins to decay. There's a decay that begins to come. Something is set in motion in the whole world where things start to become disorderly. I wonder if someone could just grab my air conditioning and uh, wheel it over here. We'll plug it in here. Well done. Thank you so much. Getting a little bit warm. Part of the curse. I could rebuke it, I suppose, and I would be perfectly cool. 
Thank you. Lovely. And everyone on the front row can get the benefit of it as well. So, everything was perfectly in order at the beginning. Sin crept in and then this, this process of decay was initiated from that point on. And it says that then a curse came on the land. Adam had to work hard to tend the soil. There hadn't been things like weeds and stuff like that from before that point. Uh, there hadn't been strife. There hadn't been argument. There hadn't been shame. But all of those things began to creep in. So, that's kind of one little set of circumstances that I was thinking about, how God took a chaotic situation and through the word of God began to bring order about it. Okay, let's look at another one. Um, In Exodus 19, the next time uh, that we kind of see the people of God, they've come out of Egypt and they've gone through the wilderness, they've been through the Red Sea and God takes them on to Mount Sinai and gathers them together at at this place and begins to say, right, gather the people together because I want to uh, speak to them and I want them to hear my voice. Okay, so this is the the context of it in Exodus 19. And um, so Moses climbs the mountain to appear before God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And this is the message you must give to the people of Israel." And I kind of looked at this and thought that there's various times throughout biblical history where there is this tendency towards chaos, okay? A tendency towards disorder. And if left to their own devices, the peoples of the earth, they kind of take the path of least resistance and they become like the people around them, okay? And Israel were no different, when they were influenced by all of the nations around them, they became just like them. And so what God did, he had a special intention for his people, for the people that were in covenant with him, was that he released his word upon them at Mount Sinai. And that, what happened on Mount Sinai is what we celebrate at the Feast of Pentecost. That it's the releasing of the word of God, the Torah, that came to the Jews And it is that Torah, it is that word that separated them from the rest of the peoples on the earth. So you see how the word comes and gives them a better way to live in those times, okay? That's kind of how it worked. It's the word that came upon them and set them apart. It sort of cleansed them. It talks about in Ephesians, doesn't it? About how the water of the word can cleanse us because it brings revelation, it brings... Uh, knowledge of how we should live and, and then also brings a spiritual cleansing to our hearts. And that's exactly what it did with Israel. At that moment when they received the word, they became set apart. They became God's special uh, possession. So, another one. 
again, and, and you can see this pattern repeating right the way through biblical history, all the time. Uh, it's the nations begin to uh, kind of just get a bit lax. They uh, settle into the ways of the nations around them. They start worshipping other gods. They pick up the customs of other people around them. And then somehow or other, the word of God will be released, maybe through a prophet in the Old Testament, uh, that begins to say, wake up, wake up. Come on, look at what you're doing. This is the word of the Lord. This is how you should live. And it begins to come upon them like a two-edged sword, sharper, kind of saying, oh yes, we've let it all go so badly. Now we need to align ourselves with God. And again, it brings them back into the presence of God and the glory of God is manifested amongst them. So there's one more uh, set of circumstances that I want to bring, which was, of course, when Jesus came. Because again, the whole of the world had been tending towards this chaotic situation uh, where there was no distinct witness in the world. And in fact, the prophetic voice of God had been absent from the earth for 400 years, something like that, before Jesus came, before John the Baptist was released, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. But it had been a very silent period with the voice of God. And then suddenly, Jesus comes on the earth. And John 1 says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So here, and of course it's speaking about Jesus. Jesus was the Word. And another set of circumstances where the world was in darkness, you know, darkness covered the earth and deep darkness the people, but the glory of the Lord is rising upon you. So the light is beginning to come and shine in the darkness. He was the Word and he was released into the world in order to separate people out from the ways of the world to God, to be in relationship with God. And this is another situation where that word is coming to bring things back into order. And of course, Jesus went on, as we've spoken before, he demonstrated the kingdom. He was the word. So he would go about demonstrating the kingdom. And So let's go back to the dream, the sentence in the dream. Wherever the circumstances of God deviate, wherever the circumstances of life, sorry, deviate from God's perfect plan, the word of God is released to challenge those circumstances and correct them, to bring things back into the perfect plan of God. So we know God's perfect plan. We know what it looks like. We've got a picture of what he created in the garden. We've got a picture of what it's like in heaven. The the scriptures tell us there is no sickness, there is no pain uh, in those places. And so we know what the kingdom of God is like and we know what the perfect plan of God is like. And Jesus came on earth, as we've said many a time before, he is perfect theology because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we know exactly what the heart of the Father is like because we look at Jesus And he came and he demonstrated. He was the word. He was the word that was released to correct 
the circumstances. So wherever he went, if a sick person came to them, he said, be healed. If someone came and was demon-possessed, he would say, be free. If someone came and they were hungry, he would release provision amongst them, feeding 10,000 at a time, maybe. If someone was coming in shame, he would say, be free from that shame. His word, he acted out the word of God and everything that we see Jesus doing is the active word of God on our earth, correcting the circumstances which had slipped away from God's perfect plan. So, we have this incredible tool. We have this incredible, incredibly powerful weapon in our disposal, at our disposal. We, can, we have the Word of God within us because the Spirit of God is living within us. And he brings, he comes and reminds us of the things that Jesus said. He releases that word within us. And so these kind of wonderful, wonderful things that have been testimonies that have been going on this morning with the guys going out and treasure hunting. The whole purpose of doing that is to go and stand in front of someone and just discern what is God's will for this person. What, what, is it, what is God's plan? What is God's perfect plan? And God's perfect plan is always encouraging. It's always encouraging. And that's why in Corinthians, when it talks about prophecy, it says that the prophetic word is to strengthen, it is to encourage, and it is to comfort. You know, those are what happens. So you can come up from in front of someone in Pool Town Centre, and life can be all over the place. It can, they can have had a mess. They can have uh, just be a long way from God. They can be uh, out of, falling out of relationship with all their family. They can be in financial trouble. And you can look at them and just begin to discern what is God's perfect plan for this person to bring them back into that perfect plan. And, and quite often the first thing is to bring them into relationship with the Spirit of God, isn't it? And for them to know the Father heart of God, how much he loves them. And so we begin to demonstrate that. But that prophetic word that is released begins a process. And Sarah, when you took uh, your grandson off to that thing and he declared those things, you know, don't let the enemy tell you that that's kind of gone and uh, isn't going to work because actually something is initiated in that place when that word is released when he made that confession and said when he waved that phone that was his trouble from then on I can tell you I've done those sort of things before and all in a good in a instant you think it would be a good idea to do this and then your life changes forever from that point on but the spirit of God is now in him and will lead and guide him to the right place that he needs to be. He will bring the right people around him at different stages of his life to draw him into that place from that moment that you make that declaration. You know, it's that, that's why that, the Bible says that he who believes in his heart that Jesus Christ uh, raised from the dead and confesses with his mouth that he is Lord will be saved. It's a two-part thing. You, you believe the information, but as soon as you make some outward confession, something is set in motion. Something begins to happen and life really is never the same ever again. So Jesus came and 
And it is, it's just such a perfect picture because at the end of that John thing, it said, uh, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And, and it reminds me of that scripture, Isaiah 60, where it says, darkness was covering the earth and deep darkness the people. But the glory of the Lord is rising upon you. You know, you can see this chaotic situation where everyone is moving away from the perfect plan of God in every aspect, in every aspect of their circumstances, in every aspect of their thinking, their words and their actions. Everything is moving away. But the word of God comes and challenges those circumstances and guides people back into that place of perfection. And that place of perfection is the place to be. That is, uh, it's, it's not, <laughs> you know, we're not trying to spoil things for people. We're not trying to spoil people's fun. It is because that place in perfect relationship with the Father, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, in uh, cooperation with Jesus, the Saviour, is the perfect place to be. There is uh, nothing like it. And of course, as Jesus carried on going through uh, his ministry, his three years that he was walking around teaching and demonstrating the kingdom, there are so many times where when the circumstances came against the perfect plan. So, for example, when the disciples, Jesus came and said to the disciples, go to the other side in this boat and the storm whips up and Jesus is fast asleep in in the back of the boat, Uh, with the waves whipping over his head and all of that sort of stuff, he is able to get up and say, are these circumstances in line with the plan of God? Well, no, because he's told us to go to the other side. Therefore, peace, be still. He can speak. The word of God is released to correct and challenge the circumstances. It is like that scripture. It is like that Isaiah 60, darkness covering uh, the world, you know, it, it's not hard. It's not hard to get rid of darkness. You've just got to turn the light on. The light does not have to try to dispel the darkness. And even the smallest light can dispel the darkness. That's the beauty of it. And it is, that is what it is like when we go out and we look at someone and we say, what is God saying to you? What is God's perfect plan for you? It is this. And suddenly, a little bit of light comes on. The darkness of the circumstances is dispelled. It is pushed away. And this hope begins to rise up. That's why when someone comes and gives you a prophetic word, quite often, the main feeling you're left with is encouragement. And probably, if you talk to all of those people that had been ministered to over the last few weeks and months of people just in the... the, in the kindness of God, just stepping out and giving people a word, they would say they're encouraged. Even if, you know, miracles haven't happened, they would feel encouraged by the kindness of God and by the word being released. And a hope is uh, released in their lives. So, where am I now? We have to realise. And that the one thing that has come out of the Steve Backland uh, weekend has reminded me again, is that the tongue is very, very powerful. 
really powerful. You know, uh, Proverbs 18 says that the tongue holds the power of life and death. It's very melodramatic, isn't it? But it is the truth. The tongue holds the power of life and death. You know, we, we dro- <laughs> dropped out at the end of the weekend. Uh, just incredibly encouraged. I loved Steve. I love everything that was going on. But you know what? I was quite negative when I woke up on Monday morning. I, I just, like everything, kind of seemed a bit gloomy. Because I mean, partly because I, I wasn't like getting a day off. It had been really busy. I was tired, all of that stuff. And I found myself making these negative declarations and everything. And I thought, hang on a minute. We're, we're not even five minutes out of this environment. And already I'm beginning to slip back into old ways. And I've had to really challenge myself this week and say, you know, death and life is in the power of the tongue. In James... uh, something. James 3. James 3, it says the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Even though it's tiny, it can direct the whole course that the ship takes. You know, it's an amazing picture that the things that we say can set the course for our whole lives and for the lives of other people as well. The things that we declare over them, the things that we say, the things that we decide to dwell on. As we begin to declare things, we are, it's, it's like, it's a little bit like Mary Poppins and... Uh, Dick Van Dyke doing his chalk paintings on the floor. Do you remember that film? And then they kind of jump in and they go into the picture and they begin to live out. That's what our words are like. It's like we've got a blank canvas and we begin to paint what the picture is that our life will become. That's what the rudder of a ship does. It sets the course for the place that you want to go. So if the confession of your mouth is, oh... It's really hard. This is a hard area for the gospel. Should we just laugh at that? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> that, is the, that is the picture that you're painting. That is the, you are setting up the framework because there is power in our words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. When we make those declarations, you know, and I, seriously, Steve Backlund was exactly the same person on the, stage as he was at home or in the car. He was exactly the same. And you would hear these little declarations. Whenever he came in here, he would kind of look me in the eye and say, this is going to be a great meeting. This is really going to be a great meeting, you know? And it's like, and it was. It was. He kind of really got into this and he began to take that combination of obedience So, getting the confession of his mouth right, but then the belief that goes behind it, that faith and expectancy that begins to come. This is going to be a good day. This is going to be a really good day. And, you know, you begin to step into it. We'll finish up with, which is not bad, a scripture from Mark 11.22. And this has affected me for a very long time. And, and okay, I don't want to get too analytical about this, okay? Because there are lots of scriptures which you've got to add together in order to give an overall picture of, of the truth. But this is, just, this is just extreme, this verse, okay? 
So Mark 11:22. So Jesus answered them and said, "Have faith in God." And I've seen other translations saying, "Have the God kind of faith." Okay? "Have faith in God." For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Okay. Number one, there's a lot more about saying in that than there is about believing or praying. There's a lot more about saying than believing and praying. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And I think there is something amazingly powerful and we have to grasp it at this time because I think we're at a very fun point in time where God is beginning to open things up and and Heather's quite right in saying, yeah, look, people are getting saved every week at the moment. There is, there is something that is a little bit different than perhaps five years ago, actually, where it was kind of once in a blue moon, wasn't it? Or where something would happen, we'd run an alpha course and someone would come in. But pretty much every single week, someone is professing faith in Jesus at this time. And that's great. That's really good. We're at an exciting time. And I think it's an appointed time in history. You know, it's not because we're doing everything in the right order. We've not ticked all the boxes. We're not, it's not because we're praying hard enough or fasting long enough or, or any of those things. It's something that God is doing in the land. It's like an opportunity. It's a time where we can step out. And I think there are some really fun things to get involved with. We can do it. And I think taking on some of these things here about understanding the power of our tongue, that... Actually, whatever things we say, if we believe that we receive them, we will receive them. We will step into them. You know, and we were talking in house group that you know, this works two ways because there's two things, faith and fear. And they, work, they both work in precisely the same way, actually. Both are a confident expectation that something is going to happen. And when you combine them with a declaration... I'll never amount to anything. I'm going to fail this exam. I'm not very good at driving. That was the funniest one of all, honestly, as we went to pick Steve Backlund's hire car up. And uh, we were literally just going to get in, and I hear this voice beside me say, I am a great driver. (laughs) (laughs) I rarely drive on the wrong side of the road. (laughs) Kind of made me grip things rather tightly. But it's true, <laughs> and he was a great driver. There was no accidents, there was nothing. He, he did really well. Um, but that's, that's the whole thing, you see. You, you are beginning to paint the picture of what life looks like. Now, I don't want, it, you know, I don't want us to get into kind of new agey positive thinking and all of this sort of stuff. All I'm saying is examine your speech. Examine what you're believing, because where fear can get in, and it starts getting combined with an ungodly expectation that something is going to happen. Quite often you create the perfect storm where things can begin to happen. And that's why that scripture in James actually is addressing negative speech rather than positive speech if you look at it. 
It's saying, you know, take control of your tongue. Stop saying the rubbish stuff. But replace it with the good stuff. Just begin to make positive declarations. Make positive declarations over the church. Make positive declarations over your families, your kids, over the experiences, your finances. You know, it is, it is not just positive thinking. It is getting in line with what God's heart is. And if, if you have the biblical understanding of God's heart for you, for example, in finances, that 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, you know, my will for you, Paul talking to the Corinthian church, my will for you is that you have every sufficiency, enough for your own needs, but also enough to be a blessing on every occasion. That's a good expectation of what the heart of God is for you in your finances. So you can confidently say, God's desire for me is that I have more than enough, more than enough, that I am blessed in the area of my finances. He wants me to be generous on every occasion. So you can begin in your prayer life to begin these declarations. If you have trouble with declarations, just try adding a thank you on at the beginning. Thank you, Lord, that I'm going to have more than enough. <laughs> you can just turn it into a prayer if you like. If, you, if it sounds a bit daft, like making these declarations into the, into the air. I don't have a problem, but it can just make it easier for you. So, okay, let's, let's finish up here. Should we stand? Oh, Father. Lord, thank you for this really exciting time that we're living in at the moment. Thank you that good things are happening and they're getting better and better every week. Thank you for the favour that is upon us. Thank you. Lord, I just want to personally thank you for the good things that are happening in my circumstances around me. That some of the things that I was declaring years ago are suddenly starting to bud and uh, come into fruition at this time. That we are seeing your goodness released around us. Thank you. Thank you for your promises, your word that you've released to us. Thank you that you are good, you are kind, that you have a perfect plan for our lives. And and Father, I pray for a, a boldness to come upon every single person that as they see the circumstances of their life deviating from that perfect plan, that they will be bold enough to make a declaration and say, no, not having that. I'm not having that. This is your plan and this is where I am going. So let that boldness rise up. Let faith be released. We just break off fear and disappointment and all the bad history. We refuse to be defined by bad history. And we just say that we will uh, be defined by your word to us. That is the truth. And so release it upon us now. Let us come into that season of the, of the strategies of heaven being released upon us as uh, was in Jean's uh, vision all those years ago, 50 years ago. We just say, let those divine strategies be released upon us that we may boldly possess them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well done, Phil.